Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of European radio stations. Radio stations from across the Euronet Plus network are covering the Ukraine crisis and EU-Russia relations this week. The blog also remembers the millions of Europeans persecuted and killed in the Holocaust. Faced with the risk of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, Europe is walking a tightrope between pushing for three-way negotiations with Moscow and Washington, while at the same time threatening the Kremlin with heavy sanctions if it crosses the line. Meanwhile, with Russia accounting for around 40% of Europe's gas imports, Moscow is using the threat of energy sanctions to exert pressure on EU member states, such as Germany and Hungary. The threats appear to be paying off, as these countries are certainly treating more carefully than some of their fellow member states. Those EU countries that are geographically closer to Russia are naturally concerned about Moscow's possible desire to expand its zone of influence. These concerns are not unfounded, in addition to wanting a pledge that Ukraine will not be admitted to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, Russia has insisted that NATO remove its forces from Central and Eastern Europe, effectively reverting to the situation as it was in 1997. In an interview with Bulgarian BNR, US-based political scientist Margarita Asenova from Washington's Jamestown Foundation described Russia's demands in this regard as scandalous. Това е скандално искане. Не става дума само за бази на американците или бази на This is a scandalous request from Russia. We are not talking about NATO bases or American bases here. The whole Bulgarian army is a NATO army. Any silence gives Russia more grounds, more confidence to want more and more from its Eastern European partners. Putin's problem is that he is looking back, not looking at what can be achieved in a world where Russia can be a rich and prosperous country in the future. He turns to the past and seeks the former glory of the Soviet Union, which was no glory at all. It was a disgrace to humanity to have a communist system that repressed its own people. This is a huge weakness of Russian foreign policy, to look back with nostalgia instead of forwards with hope. But any NATO country that does not respond to such statements is surrendering. The same is true for major EU countries which on the one hand are happy not to rise up against Russia. Germany, for example, is currently doing its own thing in order to continue its business partnership with Russia. And on the other hand, complain that Russia does not talk to them, but only to America. BNR's Moscow correspondent in turn spoke to Dmitry Suslov, Deputy Director of the Center for European and International Studies at Moscow's Higher School of Economics. Suslov believes that the danger of a Russian military invasion of Ukraine is being overstated. In the West, it is often said that Russia will invade Ukraine once it receives a negative response. Yet, this is exactly what will not happen because Russia itself does not want to cross this red line. An invasion of Ukraine would be counterproductive. It would only reduce Russia's chances of receiving security guarantees and strengthen military cooperation between the United States, NATO and Ukraine. NATO enlargement policy would not be resolved 
and even tougher sanctions would be imposed on Russia. Indeed, General Roman Polko, the former deputy head of Poland's National Security Bureau, told Polskie Radio that Putin was well aware of the cost of a potential offensive. If Russian ground forces enter the territory of Ukraine, there is no doubt that they would suffer huge losses and the confidence that will return to Russia would make a very negative impression because Russia would like to win wars, but it does not want to suffer losses. Yet Russia would clearly not be the only country to suffer should this scenario play out. Speaking to Kukuradio, Estonian security expert MP Erik Niles Kross appears to agree that Russia's goal is not war. Kross claims that the Putin regime is simply seizing an opportunity as it can see the balance of power shifting both in Europe and globally. America on The Kremlin thinks that America is very weak. The Russians remember their experience in Afghanistan when they watched with some irony and joy as the Americans ran away. In their view, the Middle East has been left to Russia and China. In Germany, too, the government has changed and is moving in several foreign policy directions. Britain has left the European Union and the EU is a completely vague concept for Russia. And by the way, Putin has completely eliminated the EU from its foreign policy rhetoric recently. Russia's latest security concept does not mention it at all. Instead of withdrawing from the region, NATO announced on Monday, 24th of January, that it was stepping up its military presence in Eastern Europe. But now the EU has a duty to do everything in its power to prevent a conflict, Luxembourg's Foreign Minister Jean Asselborn stressed at the Foreign Affairs Council that took place in Brussels on the same day. Asselborn told Luxembourgish public broadcaster 100,7 that in his view, Brussels and NATO were handling the situation well. It does not look too bad. Russia has created a threatening backdrop in the west of the country, with a reported deployment of 100,000 to 150,000 soldiers. We have taken this very seriously within NATO and the EU. By looking at Russian concerns and on the basis of a proposed process, which has not yet been refused by Russia. We would like to use the weapon of diplomacy to find solutions. That is our position. Following Monday's meeting, Spain's Foreign Minister José Manuel Álvarez also offered assurances that no one was currently talking about sending in troops, despite Madrid's deployment of three ships to support NATO's efforts in the Black Sea region. As Radio Castilla y León reports... There are two things I would like to stress about the outcomes of this meeting. One is unity, the unity of Europeans and transatlantic unity. The other, and this is the good news, is that we are at this moment of tension in Europe, at a moment of four Ds, diplomacy, de-escalation and deterrence. Poland's Deputy Foreign Minister, Paweł Jawonski, 
who was also at the Foreign Affairs Council, confirmed that the EU was increasingly finding common ground on this thorny issue. It is not that everyone agrees on everything, but there is no longer any discussion about whether Vladimir Putin's Russia is dangerous, whether we should respond to it, but there is a discussion on how, when and with what intensity. This is very good news for the security of the whole of Europe. The EU's High Representative, Josep Borrell, echoed this message about unity and diplomacy. The most important takeaway is that we have reconfirmed our strong unity and our united approach on the challenges on European security. Our unity is strengthened and there is no doubt on the Council about this. But he added that, should diplomacy fail, Europe will not shy away from taking firmer action. Borrell has also confirmed that the EU is working closely with partners including the US, Canada and the UK to prepare a strong package of sanctions. The US advocates excluding Russia from the SWIFT payment system, for example, but the EU fears the fallout of such a move on its already struggling economy, so is pushing for more targeted measures. Slovenia's Foreign Minister Angel Logar reiterated that a wide range of sanctions are on the table, says RTV Slow. There is certainly the possibility of sanctions in the financial field, sanctions in the field of experts and sanctions on the political elite, so to speak, which has the power to escalate or de-escalate the situation on Ukraine's eastern border. But agreeing on anything this important is easier said than done and discussions are still ongoing. As ever, although it projects a united front, the EU is struggling to find a common position when it comes to the detail. Ninety-one-year-old Simon Gronowski is a well-known lawyer and jazz pianist from Brussels and a survivor of deportation. In April 1943, At the age of 11, he escaped from the train that was taking him and his mother from Mechelen to Auschwitz. The chance came when the train was attacked by the resistance in the Leuven region and Gronowski's mother insisted that he jump. Sadly, she was not able to follow him. Gronowski shared his experience with RTBF this week and explained why, after all these years, he felt the time had come to speak out. I have spoken very little about this. First of all, because if I had constantly talked about these tragic events, I would have succumbed to depression. And secondly, because my mother did not give me life for me not to make the most of it. She gave me life so that I would be happy. Another reason for my silence is that I felt guilty. They died and lived. It didn't seem right. I didn't speak up either because basically my case was one of thousands. I would never have written about it myself. I had to be pushed, but I had a need finally to explain. I felt I had a mission, a mission to inform, a mission to explain to people the importance of human solidarity, the rules of friendship, understanding and peace. This seems to me to be of some use, a small drop in the ocean of goodwill. But this drop is better than nothing. I am doing something positive, and that makes me happy. Some six million European Jews were killed in the Holocaust, which is also known by the Hebrew word Shoah. Around a quarter of the victims were children, like Gronowski. Ceremonies have taken place around the European Union, most of them on 27th January, the 77th anniversary of the liberation of the Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz. 
the president of the three institutions, Michel Metzola and von der Leyen, jointly addressed MEPs at a special plenary session to mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day. European Council President Charles Michel explained the importance of such events. With each passing year, the Shoah inches towards a historical event more and more distant, more and more abstract, especially in the eyes of the younger generations of Europeans. That's why, paradoxically, the more the years go by, the more important the commemoration becomes, the more essential. Radio 24 spoke to a leader of Italy's Jewish community, Ruth Durugello, who shares Michel's sentiments. Con il trascorrere del tempo, la scomparsa dei testimoni e l'oblio e la With the passage of time, the disappearance of witnesses and obliviousness, the need to look at the past becomes more and more difficult. Today it is more than necessary to reflect on what 27 January means. It is certainly a moment when our institutions, country and civil society stop and reflect on the past, but they do so with a view to analyzing the present and instilling in the future signs of hope and values for the younger generations to pick up, recognize and make their own. This is the meaning of 27 January. An idea that begins today but develops over the other 364 days of the year with concrete activities to combat anti-Semitism, anti-discrimination in all those places where the prejudice that led to that extermination almost 80 years ago is no longer the driving force of the society in which we live. That's the news of this week. Until next week for a new round of EU news with Euronet Plus.